Hey, what's going on, guys? My guest today is someone who works at the Humboldt Area Center for Harm Reduction. They're an advocate and an activist on a number of issues like sex work and drug use. And it was just a really great conversation. I feel like I learned a few things. I'm still processing a few things. And it, it was just a great conversation. I'm really thankful they took the time to come on and talk to me. So please give it up for Lazara Firefox Allen. Okay, so for those that don't know you, do you want to tell them what it is that you do? Sure. My name is Lasara Firefox Allen. I work at Humble Area Center for Harm Reduction. I'm the new executive director there and uh, otherwise known as Hatcher. Um, and we are a harm reduction organization that serves the most marginalized folks in our community. How did you, how did you get involved with that? Well, I actually moved up to the area a year ago, and part of my reason for moving up here was that I got the job at Hatcher um, as the uh, HIV and HCV testing to treatment coordinator. Um, and so I was in that position for a year and kind of like pinch hitting, doing all the, you know, whatever needed to be done around the place. And so um, when Jessica Smith, who was our previous ED, was... Uh, snatched by another organization, another harm reduction organization. Um, I was the natural next person to step into that position. And we're actually, I, I share leadership with Will Gibson, who is the um, director of programs. Okay. He does a lot of the like on the ground um, front facing work. And I do a lot of the sort of administrative and supervisorial work. Okay. Had you done any work previous to that? Like, um, have you been involved with other organizations? I've been involved in the harm reduction movement for a very long time, like okay. since the 90s, um, but primarily, specifically through advocacy for sex workers and okay. through sex education um, from a harm reduction frame. What got you, you said that now you're more focused on like the HIV side of it. How'd you transition from that, from so, sex work to that? Yeah. Well, so they're all, you know, they're all kind of interrelated. Uh, the people who are at the most harm or most risk of uh, contracting HIV in the United States are sex workers who are, um, you know, mostly the most marginalized sex workers. And so, um, and, and we're looking at, sorry. No, you're fine. Um, we're looking at, um, intersections of marginalization. So, you know, women of color, trans women of color who are already marginalized uh, are, are at higher risk. So uh, basically, it's all interrelated for mm -hmm. me. Um, we also offer syringe services at Hatcher um, and uh, we offer hot meals and we serve our, our population is primarily unhoused. Uh, definitely a lot of folks doing sex work. So I haven't, you know, I haven't definitely haven't abandoned that demographic. I myself was in the sex industry for many, many years. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Is that, did that obviously influence why you wanted to go back and try to help? I mean, I was, I never separated the two out. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole time that I was working as a sex worker, I considered myself an advocate as well. Mm -hmm. How did, how did you get involved in that? If you don't mind me asking, like, how does one... <laughs> 
fall into that line of work, I guess. I mean, I am a writer. Mm-hmm. I I have a number of books out. And um, basically, I um, felt like sex work was a really viable way for me to augment my career path. Um, writing doesn't make you a lot of money. I was doing writing. I was doing life coaching. I was doing education. All of those things are not super high income potential um, career paths. And so I subsidized all that by doing sex work for decades. Literally. Oh, wow. I raised my kids doing sex work. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Are are you a proponent for sex work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh-huh. Because that's, that's a little dicey because some people, you know, it's not a choice when they go into that. And then other people, it is a choice. And so... There's like a lot of back and forth on should it be legal? Should it not be legal? Are we hurting more people than we're helping by having like in Las Vegas? Is that helping people? Is it hurting people? So I believe that the best route to uh, both addressing trafficking, which is a real issue, and allowing people agency over their lives and bodies is decriminalization. Mm-hmm. So what we have in uh, in places like Nevada is legislative um, measures in place. I personally and and many sex workers and sex worker advocates believe that the right track is actually to just decriminalize sex work. Here's a really simple way to look at it. You're hanging out with your friend. You give your friend 20 bucks. No biggie. You're hanging out with your friend. You make out with your friend. No biggie, Mm -hmm. right? You hang out with your friend, you give them 20 bucks, and you make out, all of a sudden it's there's something wrong. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense when you break it down. Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of, it's like dicey territory, right? Because you bring, as soon as you bring it up, people are like, oh, yeah, it's like a polarizing issue, right? From the start, nobody can have like an informed decision because it's just so... I think people can. I think a lot of what we're looking at is, um, you know, puritanical value systems. Um, So anti-sex legislation is, you know, and not just legislation, but like ideologies and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, values and ethical structures and et cetera. You know, people's internal process around it is real murky. We have a lot of um, bias. Mm -hmm around it. And I think that if we were able to decriminalize sex work, that some of that would automatically just get cleaner. Yeah, there's a lot of stigma around just sex in general, let alone paying and exchanging services for sex. Have you have you noticed that change at all the stigma around it? In I mean, I think it goes through waves. Mm -hmm. I think also, um, I think think over time that it is getting more sex work is getting a little bit less stigmatized. Mm-hmm. I think that over time decriminalization will happen. I think it'll be very much like the marijuana movement. Mm-hmm. It'll happen in localities initially and then it'll happen in states and then it'll happen nationally sooner or later um, because there really is not any, in my opinion, if you actually had a separation of church and state, there's not a legitimate reason to keep sex work illegal. That's an interesting point because it is so heavily tied to religion. Absolutely. And for better or worse, religion is so heavily tied to America that trying to separate that to actually get to the root of, okay, should we make this legal? That's like, that's got to be insanely hard. Yeah. And again, you know, I'm just, you know, I'll, I'll keep saying like to 
for me, the answer is just remove the criminalization of sex work and then sort it out, you know. Legalize it across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And and specifically decriminalize it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't feel like there needs to be like you can cook in your kitchen and you can sell food, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, your people are having sex, people are having transactional sex all all the time. People do it all the time. Some people call it marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird, right? Because I mean, you hear people doing all sorts of stuff like that, right? And then as soon as money gets involved, then it's like, okay, we have to we have to stop. Like this isn't right. I but mean, uh, you know, it, it, people have sex for all kinds of reasons yeah. though. Yeah. That's the you that's know. a good argument against <laughs> it, right? Is people already are doing it, so why why are we going to throw them in jail right, for that? Right. And when you're looking at folks who are like I said already marginalized and you're looking at like for example, um Folks who are having transactional sex for a place to sleep. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Not a bad trade-off, honestly, for or, some folks. If that's if that's within your value system, more power to you. Like, Yeah, I guess if you don't have, I mean, especially arguably now during the current time where a lot of people are going to be losing their housing and you don't have a whole lot of options. But then it seems, that seems dicey because then it almost doesn't seem like it's their choice. It seems like it's more circumstantial, doesn't it? I mean... A lot of things are circumstantial. That's a good point. You know, and and uh, I mean, I'm also pro-abortion rights. Like, I don't think people's bodies should be legislated. Mm-hmm. Are a lot of the people involved in sex work, are a lot of them people of color and minority groups? I mean, I don't... There, so the interesting thing about sex work is there's not a huge, vast amount of research out there done that's not totally biased mm-hmm. um, because we have all these uh, cultural factors at play. And so, uh, you know, there there are different kinds of sex work. Like, you know, there are people who are working on the streets. There are people who are working out of their house you know they're like and there are different risk factors in each scenario like the more marginalized a person is the more at risk they are for harm either from the police or from potential you know bad actors Mm -hmm. um if you are working on the streets you are more likely to be arrested if you're working on the streets you're more likely to be assaulted if you're working on the streets you're you're more likely to be in dicey situations if you're working out of your penthouse in you know wherever you know if you're a high dollar escort right mm-hmm. it's still the same amount of illegal hypothetically but you're le- less at risk for for arrest you're less at risk for um you know uh bad actors although one of the things that's really unfortunate about de- about um criminalization of sex work is that if 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 I'm if I'm doing sex work and I'm assaulted, I actually can't easily go to the police and say I was assaulted because I can actually be charged with prostitution if I reveal. Oh the, wow! Uh huh. If I'm robbed, I can't. If I'm raped, right? Mm-hmm. All of these things are are compounded by the criminalization of sex work. So if you legalized it, you'd almost be granting more protection to the people involved in this you would 100 percent be granting more protection that's interesting 
Are lo- is is that big here in Eureka and locally? Are there a lot of people involved in that? In what? In sex work. Yes. Here in the the, yes. There. Well, uh, there. Yeah. There are definitely um, a good portion of folks doing sex work here locally. And you guys prov- do you guys provide resources for that? I mean, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we, we, uh, we provide safer sex supplies, um, to anybody who wants them, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. How did you, are you still involved in that or did you, is that, I mean, little, that's a dicey question. I know, I was going to say, is that something, I mean, you totally don't have to answer that. I was just, um, I was, I have done sex work within the last year. Mm -hmm. Yes. Or is it something that. Because it's weird in today's culture. I'm not sure if you know what like OnlyFans is. Mm-hmm. That's I had an OnlyFans account oh, until, wow. until just recently. I oh, just wow. got rid of it. <laughs> for those who don't so know. They Only... can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who don't know OnlyFans, it's almost like, how would you describe it? Like cam girls from yeah. back in the day? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a self-produced porn mm-hmm. membership site, basically. Which is weird because that's completely legal. legal. Mm-hmm. But, and so if two people were having intercourse on that, yes. that's completely legal and people are paying for it. It's basically... Even if they're strangers. Yeah. Even if they're paying one another. So, <laughs> that's weird. Legal. And yet that OnlyFans has become incredibly popular in the past few months. It oh, just yeah. seemed to, like, a ton of people are getting involved in that. Yes. I can tell you why it's legal. Why is that? It's because it's protected under free speech. Pornography is. Uh huh. Where where does the line get crossed then from por- pornography to sex work? That's a really good question. Pornography is sex work, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So for me, sex work is an umbrella term, and it includes my personal definition of sex work is anything that is designed like any activity or product that is designed to elicit sexual response. Mm-hmm. Well, then that seems weird because pornography, I mean, people are li- on OnlyFans, people are literally paying a monthly fee to watch this. And what's the difference than if you paid a prostitute monthly? Right. Like what? That seems right. so weird, actually right. thinking about it. That's crazy. <laughs> yes. I would imagine that the rise in that, that's, in, that's, considered empowering nowadays isn't it like taking control of your body is i mean i personally think that there's a whole gamut mm-hmm. you know it depends on what the factors are as to what someone's experience is going to be i think that there's a lot of potential empowerment in sex work across the board mm-hmm. that's hard too because on the other side you have a lot of people that say that that holds women back from being empowered is doing work like that but then on obviously on the opposite side you say no this is us this is women taking control of their bodies and you know, so I think the larger issue is capitalism. In what sense? In the, in that the it would be great if none of us ever had to do anything we didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. But that's not the world that we live in. You you and I both, I'm assuming, you know, you and I both do things that we don't necessarily. We wake up in the morning. I'm like, I don't want to go to work today. Yeah. But I go anyway, right? I go anyway because of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um. It doesn't matter what the work is that I'm doing. As long as capitalism exists, I think we should have as many options for how we engage with capitalism as we want. And if that includes using our bodies for sexual pleasure, so be it. Yeah, because you can make a lot of money 
doing something like on, OnlyFans or prostitution, I would imagine. You can, yes. And so that's kind of incentivizing going out there and doing that because, yeah, I could go work at McDonald's and make 10 bucks an hour or I could go do this and make a few grand in yeah. a day. And I'll tell you, for me, what it came down to as far as like doing sex work as a career path for, for like I said, a long time, um, you know, the, I was, so I had a lot of experience in certain arenas, but I did not have a degree. Mm -hmm. I only just recently got my degree. Um, and so the options available to me were not vast as far as employment opportunities go, um, I could have eked something out, you know, um, I could have found something that, that would have, uh, you know, like I could have been working in the nonprofit sector. Absolutely. Cause I was an, an activist, lifelong activist. However, the like a real pragmatic parts of like, okay, I'm raising kids. I still want to prioritize my writing career. I, you know, I want to support my family in a good way. I want my kids to not you know, be hungry, you know, et cetera, all the stuff that we as parents, you know, want to provide for our kids. And I wanted the flexibility of being able to work for myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was awesome. It was phenomenal. And not only was it a great experience as far as that part goes, but also I felt like I was offering a solid, like, uh, value to my community. Uh, the work that sex workers do is highly skilled. It's important. People need touch. People need care. People need love. Some people, the only way that they're going to get that interaction is by paying for it. And that's, you know, maybe, maybe unfortunate in some ways, but at the same time, they've made choices. Some of those folks have made choices that brought them to that place. Like a lot of my clients, when I was, I was working in the Bay Area in the 90s, and a lot of my clients were programmers. A lot of them were working 90 hours a week. A lot of them were making a lot of money, but didn't have a lot of time for creating relationships. And so it was a mutually beneficial arrangement. Mm -hmm. One yep. of my clients bought my first Mac for me. It was oh, fucking wow. brilliant. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's insane. That's crazy. Yeah, a lot of, there's a strong argument that in legalizing that, you would have a lot of, you know, crime and, like, domestic violence. Like, a lot of abusive crime and, like, physical crimes go down because people are, you know, getting getting this touch. And most of the people committing these crimes are, like, isolated. They don't have a lot of friends. They don't, they're not, like, you know what I mean? They're not, mm -hmm. like, socializing with other people. And I've heard that argument for sex work is that, hey... Maybe if these people, you know, could get laid and didn't just hate women or like go out and start shooting people up, that maybe this this is just something that's necessary. Right. I mean, there's a lot of work that we need to do culturally to overcome misogyny. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's a huge thing. Another one of those up there with capitalism, pa patriarchy, capitalism, misogyny. You know, those are like huge issues that we need to continue addressing. I don't feel like we're doing it effectively by taking rights away from mostly female identified people uh, as far as, you know, 
the right to use their body the way that they see it. Uh, there's another analogy that uh, that's common in in our in the sex worker advocacy um, frame, which is uh, the the phrase like if you think that sex work is selling your body, but you don't think that mining is, you know, you you're having a like a sex negative reaction. That is a very interesting perspective. That is a very interesting perspective because a lot of people do manual labor jobs. Right. And you could consider sex work a manual labor job. That's interesting. I've never I've never heard that argument before. Mm-hmm. Is so for you was so money was a primary motivator. It wasn't so much that you enjoyed the work. I loved it. Oh, you I did? loved it. Oh, okay. oh yeah, I absolutely loved it. Is mm-hmm. that a general consensus amongst most oh, no. people doing it? Oh, it's okay. not a general consensus. And I also don't think you need to love your work mm-hmm. in order to do most it and get don't. something out of it, you know? Yeah. Like and and I think that like there's a whole people want to think that sex workers love their work and a lot of us do, but it's not a requirement for being good at the job. Mm-hmm. Is drug use is that pretty serious amongst sex workers is the need for like an escape in that sense you know again i don't think that there's enough reliable data out there to give you a statistical analysis on that but i do think that um that that again there are going to be factors involved that are going to make you know drug use or chaotic drug use or whatever you know more or less likely and it depends on a lot of factors i think poverty is a risk factor for drug use Mm -hmm. I think that when we have a very challenging life that we're, you know, and maybe aren't getting the right medication, um, maybe aren't getting the right resources, maybe don't have the right kinds of support, um, you know, we're going to make choices that aren't necessarily the most um, long-term viable. At the same time, like I also, you know, I'm I'm a harm reductionist. I believe that people are going to make the best choices they can make given their circumstances. Does that kind of work take any sort of mental toll on you, though? Is there any, like, coming to terms with, you know, the actions? Is there any, you know, How do you dis- mean? Well, I'm just trying to think that if, you know, if if I were to do that, I guess. Is that, do guys do that? Is that common? What's that, sex work? Yeah, sex work. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would, you know, it would have to be circumstantial if I was, you know, I can't even really picture a circumstance where I would, but it's. Like, I feel like there would be a mental toll that that would take on me trying to come to terms with like, okay, this is I, what I, I'm doing. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I mean, I think that the largest mental toll that it ever took on me was the fear of being arrested, mm. honestly, because a cop can come in and not tell you that they're a police officer and have sex with you and then arrest you. They can After literally, having sex with literally you? do that. They oh, that doesn't literally seem right. do that. Yes, they can and they do. Shouldn't that be illegal for them engaging in sex? That's crazy (laughs) that that's a real thing. It's a real thing. And it's not always consensual. I mean, oh, my God, it it, it, it's I'm an abolitionist. So, you know, it's no big surprise. But I it's and that is partially because of my experience of law enforcement over over the decades. Um, At any rate, my fear of being arrested for doing the work that I considered part of my life path, really, honestly, um, was so intense that my 
husband, the father of my children, and I had an agreement that if I were ever arrested, he would say that he didn't, he had no knowledge of the fact that I was doing sex work and would divorce me hmm. so that he could keep custody of our children. Because also children are taken away from people who do sex work. That is a, also a thing that happens. How, how did your, did your husband have any difficulty coming to terms with that? No. Wow. I mean, with what part? With me doing sex work? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. wow. No, he supported it. Are you worried? Have you, do your kids know? Oh, yeah. Have you, has there been any pushback or any weird feelings regarding nope. that? No, completely supportive. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, because I've been out to them the whole time. It's mm -hmm. not something, there's, I don't have any shame about it. So why would there be any Yeah, I guess pushback? if you don't instill the stigma <laughs> right. in them, then it's, then right. what do they have to, you know, grab onto for that? Right. When you say you're an abolitionist, are you talking about in regards to the police? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a dicey subject too, right? <laughs> Why? Do, so you, are you for the defund the police movement or oh, yeah. disband the police? Absolutely. What do you think about everything that's going on in like Seattle right now? I mean, I think that, you know, like uh, life is complicated. Mm -hmm. I believe that the police have... Um, too much power and i believe that the militarization of police is incredibly problematic and it continues on and i think it's um gonna be part of a major crisis for america in the near future i i can't get um what you said about them being able to have sex with a sex worker before they arrested i can't get that out of my head that seems like a serious They have to of prove power. that they're a sex worker. How else are they going to prove that I they're know, a sex I know, but you think that worker? them accepting the money for it would be proof enough that you could draw the line. One would think. There. Is that... That's legal across the board? They can do that? I don't know if it's legal, but I know that it's done. It's been done. Mm -hmm. it, it is done. It's done ongoingly. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. are, is there any call to stop that? I mean, is that... I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. From... Sex workers. Sex workers. <laughs> is there any progress being made with that? Yes, yes, there is progress being made. There's a decriminalization bill um, being uh, on, uh, it's, uh, I believe it's on the ballot in New York City, New York State maybe? I think it's just New York City. Okay. Um, currently, um, DC also is looking at decriminalization of sex work. Um, like I said, it's going to happen uh place by place and you know i'm hoping humboldt county will be a place that decriminalizes know. sex work it's weird that arizona just got under the radar with that that it's legal in las vegas that they just somehow managed to squeeze that they, in there and it's accepted yeah they yeah it's it's still very legislated. Mm -hmm. It's Nevada, and it's and it's still like there are like. Um, oh yes, my bad. Did yeah, I say Arizona? Oh no my god. No worries. No worries. I was like, what happened in yeah. Arizona? <laughs> um, there are uh, like ranches. It's not legal to do street walking in Vegas, for example. It's mm -hmm. like you there. It's very legislated, which I think is unfortunate. And I think ultimately for me, you know, again, I'm, I'll come back to the request from the sex worker community is decriminalization, not legalization. Mm -hmm. By street walking, you mean just walking down the street and picking somebody up? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, you know, like, you know, any movie that you watch where, you know, they're on the corner yes. or something. Okay. Right. How is it? How is it done? Do you have to like call somebody? Um, so in 
in uh, Nevada, there are ranches. They're called ranches or, or uh, yeah, a lot of like the bunny ranch or like the moonlight, you know, like just these little places okay. where women, primarily women, go and work. I never did that. I, I uh, it was, I never wanted to work for someone else. Mm-hmm. I like having my own uh, freedom and the ability to say no if I think a client is um, not for me for sketchy. whatever reason. Uh, I like being able to say, you know what, this just isn't working for me. I'm going to ask you to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that doesn't happen often, but it has happened on occasion. Uh, the SESTA FOSTA has also made things really complicated. So like what the, is that? uh, the stop something I can't ever remember what the acronym is about, but it's supposedly, it was written supposedly to help to, uh, end trafficking through like internet, uh, Sites or something. Sites, okay. basically. Okay. But what it did was it ended up put, having a chilling effect. So basically a lot of the advertising locations for people who are working out of apartments, homes, whatever, um, a lot of those uh, sites went went down. And so the advertising spaces were taken away. Also boards, like where, where um, uh, clients and workers would meet up. Um, review boards where uh, clients could review different workers, review boards where workers could review different clients, Mm -hmm. which is incredibly important, um, especially when you don't have the ability to have external enforcement of basic human decency. You don't have the police to go to, so you need to do a lot of um, self-regulation. And so when those sites went away, um, there were there was anecdotally there was a large influx of folks who started working on on the street who had historically not been working on the street. Oh wow! And like I said earlier, you know, street the street is a much more complicated. You're more likely to end up with. Uh, you know, indecent exposure charges, you're more likely to end up with prostitution charges, you're more likely to end up with, you know, in in somebody's car going somewhere where you don't know where you're going. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, when I had my apartment in the Bay Area, like I, if I felt like I wasn't sure if I had a new client and I wasn't sure about them, I would get a friend to come and stay in the extra bedroom. So I had backup. The guy would never, the client would never know that someone was there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a threat. It was just for my security. Yeah, for safety. Exactly. So, you know, like there, there are a lot of factors that make working out of an apartment or a motel or a hotel or whatever safer than working on the street. Like you, I, I never had to get in someone's car that I didn't know. You know, and that's a risk in and of itself. Like, you you don't know where this person's going to take you. Yeah, it seems incredibly dangerous. Right. I mean, even having a friend, like, it seems incredibly dangerous. What if the person has a weapon or... Right. Are there... Have you heard a lot of horror stories of stuff happening? I mean, clients? you know... Or most people generally... I mean, how? I mean, how do you even gauge who's going to be... Well, that's why those sites are so important, right? So mm-hmm. when I was working down in the Bay Area, we would have a list like the Bad Johns list. 
And if you had a bad date, you would put it on the list. You would put the person's, you know, name that they were going by and whatever information you had about them, a description, Mm -hmm. you know, where they met you, what kind of car they were driving, if you had that information, et cetera. You would put that information on a list so that other workers would know that that person was a risk. So you all had that resource to be mm-hmm. able to identify. And people. now, now if you do that, you can actually be charged with like um, trafficking. Oh wow! Yeah. So if you are a person who's curating a list like that, you can be charged with trafficking. I, I get it to some extent because it. I mean, stopping trafficking is across the board. That's just like everyone wants to do that. Like there's nobody saying, okay, trafficking is just, you know, what it is, what it is. No, everyone's like, we need to stop right. traffic trafficking. Absolutely. And how do you distinguish someone who's having consensual sex for payment or for something and someone who is doing that against so their will? My answer to that is you decriminalize sex work mm-hmm. and then trafficking all of a sudden stands out in stark relief you think that trafficking would stop if it was decriminalized no i don't think the trafficking would de facto stop if it were if sex work were decriminalized but you would be able to tell more easily what was trafficking and what was sex work right consensual sex work because it was no longer criminalized wouldn't be in the way of seeing where the trafficking was happening Right. As it is, everything is lumped together. Mm -hmm. And so the money that's supposed to be going to fighting trafficking is going to, you know, criminalizing people who are consensually having sex for money. Mm -hmm. I just wonder how you would be able to distinguish. Right. Because if all of a sudden sex work, consensual sex work were decriminalized, then those people would no longer be the target of stings. They would mm-hmm. no longer be the, the you know, like... Oh, I see what you're saying. So they right. could dedicate more resources to actually finding traffickers instead right. of just getting both. Right. Okay. I could, I could see that. Just that is so... It's insane how prevalent trafficking actually is. Well, and the other thing about trafficking, and we think about sex trafficking a lot, but like, honestly... The amount of trafficking that's done that's sex trafficking is minuscule compared to the amount of trafficking that's done that's, you know, labor. Uh, the non-sex massage parlors. That's trafficking? There there are cases of oh, trafficking involved. Wow. I thought inv- it was all involved. sexual. That makes sense that it would be for labor uh, you know, and stuff too. Yeah. Um, you know, like uh, folks who come over for, and you know, and again, I, I don't think there's a simple answer to this, you mm-hmm. know, but I'm just saying it's not all, not all trafficking is, is sex related. It's a complex, it's a complex issue. You know, nannies, mm-hmm. you know, mail order brides. Yeah. Mail order brides um, is a little dicey too, huh? You know, like where do you want, yeah. Like. Because that you're, you're almost buying somebody. Right. And then presumably you're going to have a relationship with them to some extent because you're married to them, I would suppose. Right. And so that is almost sex work to some extent, right? I mean... That's, it's weird how they draw the lines between, okay, this is good. This is not good. Yeah. This isn't okay. It's super complicated. It's super complex. There's no... There, it's just... We would like it to be really clean Black and clear. And it's not. Mm-hmm. It's just not. And so the resources that you guys offer at Hatcher 
have you noticed that a lot of people that come in to seek help for that are do they do people want to get out no no they want to stay in yeah is it because of the money i mean one of the things about sex work is that it doesn't require a college degree Mm -hmm. there's no bar to entry right And that's why decriminalization is so important instead of legalization, right? So legalization, you know, you need licensing, you need da-da-da-da-da, you have zoning restrictions, blah, 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 blah. That's not what we want to see. What we'd like to see is decriminalization so that people who are doing sex work are just left left alone. Mm -hmm. Let them do what they're doing. Obviously, you know, there's going to be some zoning restriction, like, you know, no open sex work around a school, just like with you know drugs right Mm -hmm. exactly so you know obviously there are some things that make sense but like the more we push people into the shadows the more dicey it gets yeah it introduces a more criminal aspect because you're operating with all these other things that are going on in the dark right 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 that's interesting i had no idea well i didn't even know Sex work was really prevalent in Eureka up until a little while ago. I had somebody else talk to me about it. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that was even going on. I mean, you don't see it, so you don't think about it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I, I do want to talk about, you also mentioned the needle program that you guys yes. do at Hatcher, mm-hmm. which is a hot topic. Sure. Um you guys are currently, it's a current exchange program, right? We are an exchange program. So we, is it we one are, for one? We are a one for one. But you guys want to go to an open exchange, right? The best practices in harm reduction is an open exchange Mm -hmm. because that is where the actual reduction in transmission of bloodborne pathogens is most successful. Okay. Right. It's from them just being able to get get needles if they need them. There are a lot of people that would say that that is, you know, endorsing drug use or facilitating the use for those trying to to do drugs is that yeah no i don't i don't think so no Mm -hmm. i mean one it's none of my business what somebody does with their body Mm -hmm. right that's the the base the the base argument for me is it's none of my business what somebody else does with their body uh that being the assumption there's no there's not a single thing I can do that's going to make someone else not do something with their body that they want to do with their body. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can do is I can show up and help that person if they want the assistance to make the best choices possible as far as how that's going to happen. And so for some people, you know, like we we also offer a bunch of other supplies. We offer snorter kits. We offer smoking kits. We, and that's harm reduction. Mm-hmm. So say someone is like, I'm tired of getting abscesses. I don't want to use needles anymore. I'm going to only use pipes from here on out. And you guys provide Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten a lot of pushback from the community? So Hatcher did get pushback from the community when it first started out, but I'm I'm pleased to say Jessica Smith, you know, Brandy was amazing. She mm-hmm. was a powerhouse. Uh, Jessica Smith was uh 
you know, and still is. She's still in the community. She's still doing harm reduction work. She's just not doing it at Hatcher. Mm -hmm. uh, but she's a, 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 she's mind-blowing. And she did an amazing amount of work to create a collaborative environment um, at Hatcher and invite community members in. And I'm following that lead. You know, if anybody wants to come and check it out, you are welcome to come visit. Folks are welcome to come volunteer. They're welcome to come have a meal. We serve hot meals three days a week, also harm reduction. Mm -hmm. We give people sunscreen, also harm reduction. You guys also distribute naloxone, right? Yes. Narcan and stuff? Okay. Yep, absolutely. And fentanyl test strips. Mm -hmm. uh, we have fentanyl test kits. We have, again, you know, snorter kits. And, you know, folks do drugs, Folks do drugs. And we just, you know, if you're if you're an HSU student and you're gonna party for the weekend, please come get a fentanyl test kit. Please come get a snorter kit. Please come get the supplies that you need. People aren't aware that you can get hep C from sharing straws. You can Oh really? Yes. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. It so if anyone has ever shared a straw with someone, I highly recommend that they get a hep C test. Wow. Sharing straws. Is it from the saliva? Well, I'm I'm talking about nasal straws. Okay, I primarily. thought we were talking about soda straws. And I was oh, like, no. oh my God. No, no, no. So I'm talking about, so if you, if you snort anything ever, if you've ever snorted anything and didn't use your own equipment, you know, get tested. Mm -hmm. It's, it's hard. I feel like there's a lot of misconception about net programs because you hear a lot of people, well, first off, people are upset when they find needles on the ground. And I think a lot of people think that um, the program was designed as a way to stop drug use, which is what I initially thought. Mm -hmm. But it's not so much that, right? It's more to stop the spreading of diseases and HIV and yes. hep C. So I have, I have two things to say about that. One is we have an employee who their whole job is if somebody calls or sends an email to hatcher707 at gmail.com. That's hatcher, H-A-C-H-R, 707 at gmail.com, or give us a call on any of our public lines. We have someone who will come to your house, your business, wherever, your street, and and clean up syringes. But you have to call first. Well, and I mean, point we, them out and say, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, if, if you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that myself. We have someone who will come do that for you. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we offer as a community service. It's not, we're not required to do that. It's just something that we offer as a community service. Mm -hmm. um, we are not invested in having people quit doing what they're doing but we are going to offer them options. We also have, we offer on site uh, a low barrier linkage to medication assisted treatment, otherwise known as MAT, um, through an organization called Bright Heart Health. We work closely with them. We have, I think, in the last number, last few weeks, we have had over 30 people enroll in medication assisted treatment. Oh, well. Wow. Mm hmm. So while we're not about getting people to quit using that, whatever substances they're using, if they want help getting there, we absolutely do offer that ass assistance. Are you noticing that a lot of the people coming in to get some of the equipment you guys provide, are they the same people? Is it new people? 
Both. We both. Have, both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have, we have, you know, our, our core group of folks who we know by name and who, you know, are around every day and who volunteer and, you know, like, uh, you know, our consumers volunteer too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're everyone, it's a community. It's a community. Are a lot of people joining that program, like you said, or is the 30, was that like a rare instance? Oh no, it's ongoing. Okay. I mean, the pandemic is definitely, um, making some folks make some choices that they might make not might make differently otherwise but Mm -hmm. uh you know people are some folks are tired of being on the streets some people are tired of needing to find their medicine you know like it's you know so you never know what's going to be the thing that's going to make somebody say you know today is a good day to quit doing x y or z Mm -hmm. are you guys expecting like an uptick in people coming in from the pandemic with everyone, with people losing their we jobs. Have, and... We have definitely had an uptick in uh, syringe exchange. Mm-hmm. And it, I, you probably don't know what drug most of them are using. Do you? Because heroin is a big issue in the community, right? I mean, yeah, we... We don't necessarily ask people what mm-hmm. what substances they're using. But we do know that people use all kinds of substances. Yeah. And, you know, over, I don't know if you were uh, tuned into it, but like over winter break last year, three people OD'd on fentanyl. Do you remember that? In, in I wasn't here. No, I didn't know that. Okay. So three people OD'd um, and, and none of them were regular users. They just uh, got a bad batch, I believe. It was Coke Mm -hmm. that was, that had, that was, had fentanyl mixed in and they OD'd and one of them died, two of them died. I'm not sure, but it was kind of a big deal because it was like folks who, you know, you just never know if it's going to be you. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you do drugs recreationally, have Narcan on hand. If you do drugs recreationally, have fentanyl test strips on hand. There are people that would say that the resources that you guys provide would be better suited towards, you know, teaching people, hey, you know, maybe don't do this, that this this isn't really that great for you, that there's not, there's no real benefit from, you know, shooting heroin or snorting coke. I, I can't decide for anyone what mm-hmm. benefit there is to anything that they're doing. You know, it's, while I might make different choices, I, like I said, I, I I'm not. I personally am not, personally, I don't feel like I have the standing in the world to make choices for other people about what they're going to do with their bodies. Yeah, That's interesting. Well, it's hard, right? Because you, I mean, you obviously don't want to see people get hurt and, you know, use bad drugs if they are going to use drugs. So then the services you guys provide are fantastic. But then on the flip side, if I had a kid or someone I loved and cared about and they were going to you guys and getting needles that they were going back home and shooting up with heroin, I would be furious with you guys because I would feel like you guys are, you know, co-opting their their habit to some extent. But then if they died because it was a bad needle, then I, I, I mean, it's so, there, it's multifaceted. And, you know, like having fresh needles is really important for a lot of reasons. And, you know, like my, 
I have people in my life who, for since I was, you know, in my teens, who have been, you know, needle users and have used, you know, all kinds of different substances. One of my very close loved ones lost their partner to a um, to a blood infection from a dirty shot. So, you know, you just have to be careful with like, you want to make sure that the needles are sharp, you want to make sure they're fresh, like, and, and so for me, I just, I don't want people to be making choices that are going to injure them. Mm-hmm. Because they can't access the supplies that they need to do something more safely. Yes. How are people getting needles before NEP programs? You can buy them at pharmacies. Oh, I thought they were mm-hmm. illegal. You I didn't can, think you could you buy can, them. You can buy them at pharmacies. And Anyone then, can. I believe so. I oh, mean, well. you can, you know, you can also, the county also has an exchange. Oh, do they really? Yes. Oh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. They are not stuck with the one-to-one rule. They have the best practices. They are open. They have an open policy. Yes. Oh, wow. I wonder if I believe so. I could be wrong about that. I okay. could be wrong about that. So maybe maybe not. Maybe it's not open, but I, I don't know if they're a one-for-one. I did not know that the county even had one. I thought you guys were the only, oh, no. the only ones. No, we're very thankful. We work closely with the county. The county and, you know, we stay in touch with the county. Mm-hmm. They stay in touch with us. We let them know what, you know, what we have on hand. Supplies have been really glitchy since COVID. Um, you know, we don't always get stuff when we're supposed to get it. Shipping is slow, blah, 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 you know, et cetera. It's like all the stressors of COVID are just intense. Yeah, they're hitting everything. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely affected how we offer services. You mm-hmm. know, we don't let, uh, you know, consumers don't come in the building at this point and won't until we feel like it's safer. Yeah. Um, so we do like curbside pickup, basically. Is there any sort of regulation on how many utensils you guys can give out or is there any tracking on? We track all of our... You track. Oh, so yes. you have numbers on, okay, we oh, yeah. let out this many this month. Okay. We absolutely have numbers, and and our our um, ratio has been over a hundred percent return. Oh, really? Uh huh. Is that we, people? We get more syringes back from the community than we give out. Is that people exchanging them directly, or are you guys collecting them as well? Is that uh, both, both? Both, okay. but but people, you know, yeah, people bring in more than they take out. Are those numbers? Can the public access those numbers or it's private? I mean, if someone wanted to see our numbers, I would absolutely show them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know you guys, I would have thought, because you hear all the time that people are finding needles on the ground and all this stuff. And then to hear you say that, that's very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I would have thought that there We have be... over 100% return. Hmm. And do you find a lot of people are willing to bring them back to you guys? Oh, yeah. And that's because you guys have... The one-to-one, or you think they would do that in an open exchange where they didn't need any? As well? I think they'd bring them back anyway because they, you know, I mean, folks are members of the community, mm-hmm. right? They they're members of the community. All the folks who are using our services are from here. They live here. Mm-hmm. They have as much investment in making sure that things work out and run smoothly and nobody gets hurt, you know, as as anybody does, if not more so. I'm sure there's people hearing you say that and thinking, 
you know, because of the stigma around drug use. Yeah, well, if they don't care about their body, why are they going to care about some kid pricking themselves with the needle if all they care about is, you know, getting that next fix? I mean, that's a very dehumanized view of mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. when what we're talking about is actually human beings. Who and you've noticed the opposite make, yeah. occurring. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, drugs are drugs and people are people. You know, there's, I think, again, we have a lot of puritanical views about what should be allowed and what shouldn't, which is also hypocritical as all get out, I have to say, because most of us use substances. Mm-hmm. Most alcohol of us use could substances. Be considered a substance. Absolutely. It is a substance. There's alcohol, there's caffeine, there's sugar. Mm. You know, a lot of people addicted to sugar. Yeah. You know, not to mention pharmaceuticals. Yeah. The opioid epidemic is a problem here as well, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's an issue. I don't think it's being handled well, but mm-hmm. it's an issue, yeah. How do you think it should be handled? The, the, are you talking about I, the opioids or yeah, drug I think, use as I, a whole? I think that the opioid epidemic is, I think that when you stop getting... So if someone is used to having an opiate on board and you take that away, what do you think that person is going to do? Well, I would assume try to get more. Right. Where are they going to get it? Mm-hmm. They're going to get it on the street. Yeah. What are they going to get? They are not necessarily going to get the thing that's working for them, for their pain, whatever that pain is that they're living with. They're going to end up with some inferior product in some cases. They're going to end up with something that's laced in some cases. They're going to end up with something that is not going to work as well. Or they're going to end up going to a, a graduating to, you know, to a more, to something that's more readily available that maybe is not as good of a fit for them, mm-hmm. you know. And so I don't think that the opiate epidemic is is being handled well. I don't think that taking away pharmaceutical opioids from people is the best bet when people actually need them for pain control would it be better to legalize it and have you know a source distribute it kind of like they're doing with marijuana where you can just go to a store and you know buy it i mean now we're now we're getting into it yes i believe all substances should be decriminalized across the board i personally believe that yeah and that's not a hatcher policy necessarily Mm -hmm. but it's my personal opinion why do you think that that would because people there's some people that would say that if you decriminalize it then people are going to start doing it people that would maybe be persuaded not to because it's illegal do you believe in that argument i don't believe in that argument do you so why why do you think it? i mean i think that people are going to use the substances they're going to use and the safer it is the the better better. that's a strong argument Mm -hmm. i mean you wouldn't have people ODing on, you know, laced cocaine. Right. Or some other drug that's right. cut with rat poison exactly. or whatever. They're whatever. MDMA. Mm-hmm. People party. People party and they end up with, you know, drugs that are laced with things that they don't necessarily want in their bodies, right? Mm-hmm. What if you could get your, you know, whatever your thing is that, you know, you want to go to a dance party and you want to... Use whatever it is that makes you happy to dance for six hours or 12 hours or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. What if you could get that at a, at a dispensary? What if it were purity tested? It'd be a lot safer. Mm-hmm. 
Now, there's a lot of research I know about how... Well, first off, have you guys have you guys noticed over at Hatcher that like Hep C has decreased in the community? Because that was a big issue a few years ago, wasn't it? So I don't know exactly what the stats are on the rate of hepatitis infection. I know we're still above the state average mm -hmm. in Humboldt County. Have you noticed any change? Because you guys started the so needle we, exchange we, like 2016? Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. And we do... 2015? I can't remember, but somewhere around, around there. there, around there. Um, I uh, am not totally, I, I do know that most, mo the most recent study that came out, there was a county uh, or a state, state, um, I think it was a state sponsored okay. um, study that came out last year, I believe, said that we're, I think, four, four percent above, or four times the, the state average, average. Oh, wow. uh, uh, and but that you know that also could infection could have happened 25 years ago mm -hmm. you know and people don't necessarily know that they're infected unless they get tested which is why we're also like so uh people can have hep c for a very long time before they get any health complications from it Oh wow! Uh -huh. I didn't know that. It can it can exist in your body for a long. My father had hepsi, has has had Hep C and you know has had had to have a liver transplant, and he had been Hep C positive since he was in his twenties. He didn't get cirrhosis until he was in his uh, early sixties. Oh wow! So yeah, I mean, hep C can be in your body for a long time. So again, I'm just saying like, if you don't know, get tested, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't know, get tested. And, and so, because there are treatments available and the treatments that are available now for hep C are way kinder to the body than they used to be. And you can basically have an, a perf you can be healed from hep C at this point. It's curable. I mean, or yeah, you you'll to. still show antibodies, but you won't have active Hep C in your body. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. What are the symptoms of that? Of Hep C? Yeah. I mean, liver pain, liver swelling. Mm. Like, if it gets to, the, you can get cirrhosis. You can get liver cancer ultimately. So that's why you want to find out sooner than later and get the treatment, and mm -hmm. then you don't develop the cirrhosis and Hep C and uh, and liver cancer. There's a lot of data that. Needle exchange programs absolutely help that, that they help decrease transmission, they help stop the spread of these diseases amongst that population. But are there, you know, are there side effects? Are people, you know, that maybe come across these needles in the street, are they accidentally getting pricked? And are there injuries and stuff associated with any of that? Or is that so pretty minimal? It, it's very minimal. And, you know, the chances of you trans, trans like, uh, get getting um, Hep C or HIV from a needle stick are very low. Mm -hmm. That said, there are also treatments available. So if if, if I were to get, because you know, I'm around syringes at at work. So if I were to get um, poked, I would do PEP, mm -hmm. which is post exposure prophylaxis, and it is a medication regimen that uh, I believe is, I think it's three weeks long, and it's an antiviral. It's a, a combination of antivirals that make it so that you your chances of actually getting um, 
uh, HIV specifically mm. um, are almost non-existent. Oh, wow. Well, that's um, fantastic. So, so for me, you know, and I've worked in other environments where, you know, like I worked at, at a clinic and I worked at another needle exchange, you know, down in Ukiah um, before I moved up here. Yeah, if I had ever ended up with a needle stick, I, I would do PEP. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and PEP is used for a lot of different, you know, like if you have a sexual encounter that where you don't know the HIV status of the person that you had sex with and there's a chance of transmission, then you can do PEP for that as well. Are a lot of, are people being pricked though, just no. by needles in general? No, you guys haven't heard of no. any? No. Oh, wow. Oh, no. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not that it never, ever, ever happens, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, I mean, no, it's not, it's not a real. Not uh, where we discredit the program. No. With the amount of, okay. No. You know, and like I said, if you don't want to get near a syringe that's on, you know, in, in your doorway or whatever, wherever it is, you know, call mm-hmm. us and you guys will pick it up. sidetrack will come get it. Well, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause there's not a lot of, there I've tried to find research on that to see if there were, you know, community exposure increased or there were adverse. It would be decreased. Community, the potential, yeah. Yeah, not from um, hep C or anything, but just exposure with an increased exposure to needles if people were accidentally getting pricked or, you know. We have, so when folks come in, sometimes they have their stuff in like, you know, we, we give people sharps containers. Oh, okay. Yeah. We give them sharps containers. Mm-hmm. That said, not everybody has sharps containers. So sometimes they'll bring in soda jars, you know, soda bottles, um, you know, or they'll bring in a cereal box. Full, you know, we'll be like, here's a sharps container, you know, put your stuff in there and we'll count, you know, we'll tally it up and blah, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. Um, then we take the soda bottle or the Gatorade jug or whatever you know or the sharps container we tape it up we put it in a safe receptacle and it's picked up by the medical waste folks what do they do with it after they pick it up from you guys are they like you know cleaned? i believe i believe no i believe they're incinerated oh, okay i believe mm-hmm. i'm not totally sure but i think that that's what happens oh well but I'm they're just... yeah they're disposed of safely oh, okay mm-hmm. and i would imagine that the county is keeping track of everything they're dishing out to is there do you guys receive any federal funding for this or is it we do not receive federal funding can um, you do we so we are a non-profit we're mm-hmm. a non-governmental community-based organization okay we are we operate specifically based on grants okay mm-hmm. from the state of california uh, some from the like AIDS United Foundation, some from like different pharmaceutical organizations will fund um, certain services programs. Oh, wow. Um, uh, harm reduction coalitions. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a grant that's coming in from uh, from a harm reduction coalition grant that I believe is state funds, uh, some of it's state funds. And okay. then... Um, but yeah, we don't, I don't think that we get any federal funding. The federal government, it's, it's not uh, like banned, but they don't really give out federal funding for these type of programs, do they? Not that I know of. I, you know, and, and there are a lot of restrictions on federal funds across mm-hmm. the board, like uh, around 
anything that has to do with personal choice about your body. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like federal funds also can't go to funding abortions. Yeah. Planned Parenthood doesn't get any money from no. the feds. Right. That's interesting. And what I didn't know, and I don't know if most people know this, is that programs like this have been going on since the late 80s, right? Yeah. And I think even the Obama campaign campaigned on increasing needle exchange programs or something like that. I don't, I don't think he ever went through with it, but I think yeah, that I was something yeah. he was running with. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I... So I grew up in Mendocino County. Oh, okay. And I remember back in the day, and it was... Late late eighties, early nineties, there was a there was one guy who was like driving a van around doing a a renegade exchange. That was oh, the really? first the first exchange services in Mendocino County. Oh wow. Um and then McCavin started doing exchange services, you know, when it got you know, mm-hmm. as part of what they offer down there. Um yeah, I mean, you know, the programs have been around for a long time and they're around because they work. They're still relatively scarce, though, right? There's not a whole lot of more, programs like you guys. More every day. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Ideally, every community will have a syringe services, mm-hmm. uh, you know, organization, at least one available to them. Hmm. That's crazy to think about. But, I mean, if it helps... It helps stop the spread of diseases. Arguably, it would help everyone. Are, how do police feel about what you guys are doing? <laughs> uh, you know... Is that a little touchy uh, subject? Yeah, that's a touchy <laughs> subject. Um, what can I say about that? Because arguably, um, they're next to you guys, they're probably coming into contact with these needles more than anybody else. I mean, hypothetically, yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, they could just leave people alone. <laughs> That is one approach. Do you get a? Do you guys get a lot of pushback from them though about? Yes. Oh, we really? We They're do, not. We do get favor. some pushback from. Them. There are a couple officers who we're friendly with. Mm-hmm. What is their take? Uh the the office. Uh, let me let me let me rephrase that. There are a couple officers that we're not adversarial with, and it's not that we're adversarial with them, but but they the officers can tend to make our job much more complicated. In what sense? Um, like if they post up on our street then and even just looking at people who are accessing our services. Oh, like picking up people that come and get, uh, kind of like what they did with, you know, marijuana for a while where they yes. wait and pick up people that right. are going to buy it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Has that happened a lot? It happens and it's not cool. Mm-hmm. It's it's legitimately unfortunate that it happens. And they will cruise through. We, uh, you know, they cruise through our our spot on a on a you know, depending on how I don't know how frustrated they are with our population or how bored they are. Who knows what the predictor is? But you know, different days of the week they will spend more or less time cruising through our spot. Oh, and. Wow. Uh, so we're just, you know, like we just really keep everything very legitimate and above the board. You know, there's no drug use on site. There's no absolutely no zero tolerance for any drug sales or, or exchanges on site. Zero tolerance. Um, you know, z- zero tolerance for use on site. Uh, you know, we're like 
people are standing six feet apart and people are wearing masks. Like we're just being real careful and following all the protocols, following the protocols and taking care of our people. It's as much for us as it is for anybody else. Mm -hmm. It seems like on one hand that a program like this would almost help officers because in the event that they do get pricked with a needle, their risk of actually being exposed to anything in the first place would be lower. Way, way lower, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So it seems, I mean, have you, are any of them happy that the program is in place, even though others are, you know, picking up people as they're around your facility? Right. Have you gotten any positive feedback from them or they would just rather it, the program not exist? You know, I, I don't know if there is a group consensus one way or the other, to be mm -hmm. honest. I have not made it my business to inquire into the Eureka police. And like, I don't necessarily feel like I need to do that work. If, if any officer wants to engage with me, they're welcome to get in touch and be like, hey, I'm friendly to your organization. And I'll be like, great, what does that mean? And let's talk about what we can do with it, mm -hmm. you know? But yeah, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I also don't have... I will say that Eureka Police did try to shut Hatcher down during COVID. As not essential? Yes. Oh, okay. And Jessica, who is a badass, <laughs> had it handled within 48 hours. Mm -hmm. You guys got the essential Yes, tag. we are essential. Like, if a liquor store is essential, come on. That's a good point. And marijuana was essential, wasn't it? Right. Yeah, it still is. Point. We all know it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. It was interesting, though, because they closed, like, AA meetings, which you think would be, like, that is essential for a lot of people trying to get help in programs like you that. You can hypothetically do an AA meeting on Zoom, though. That's well, that an is option. a good point. You can't do syringe services on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And you guys have noticed an uptick yeah. since COVID mm -hmm. of people coming and in. And again, you know, we're also giving people soap and toothbrushes and toothpaste and we're giving people socks and underwear and we're giving people hot meals and we're giving people, you know, uh, a phone to use so that they can make their doctor's appointments and we're giving them, you know, access to our technology so that they can keep their med medication-assisted treatment meeting uh, appointments. We offer a lot of services. Mm -hmm. Um and all of those services are essential to our population. Our population needs that. They need the human interaction. Mm -hmm. They need the space where they can be human around other humans and not be judged judged or looked at askance or, you know, cussed out. Do you guys do a lot of outreach programs to try to inform the public of, hey, these are all our services. This is how you can take yeah. advantage of them? You do. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you guys go to like HSU? And talk? Um, we don't. We we do. You know, I mean, Jessica used to go speaking classes at HSU. It's mm -hmm. a lot dicier this year with the uh, COVID protocols oh, yeah. in place. So, but yeah, I mean, or... you know, we have a relationship with HSU. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's cool. Are a lot do a lot of students take advantage of that? We have um, interns and we have volunteers who come in from HSU, which oh, is great. Cool. So we have a mutually beneficial arrangement. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's huh. great. Yeah, I think, I wonder if a lot of people know all the services, because like hearing you say you guys do food and socks and soap, important 
things for the local community and the homeless community, especially. I mean, we hand out tents, we hand out sleeping bags, we have a clothing closet. We have, you know, because like when you're unhoused, you can't, you don't, you can't do laundry. Mm -hmm. You know, you you have what's on your on your body often. You know, so like having a fresh change of clothes, being able, you know, like you can't operate in the world without these basic elements. And so many of us take it all for granted. That the homeless situation in Eureka is interesting because it seems, first off, it seems to be very tied to drug use, right? Have you noticed I that mean, from... one could make an argument that drug use is tied to homelessness. Or that's true too. But, you know, regardless, the two are, seem to be combined and it seems that the homeless problem is progressing in a negative direction here. It seems like well, there are more COVID, homeless. COVID is going to do that. Well, yeah, especially, Absolutely. but even before that, it seems like just more and more homeless people have been showing up. We're an economically depressed town. Eureka. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and there aren't a lot of options for employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there are more people than there are jobs available is what it looks like to me as a fairly recent transplant to the area. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of factors at play. You know, I mean, you can't totally keep it away from like environmental negligence too you know like logging and fishing were two of the largest employment options in this region and they aren't viable anymore because they weren't done sustainably Mm -hmm. you came from the bay area you said i lived in the bay area when i was younger i grew up in mendocino county Mm -hmm. are they struggling with the homeless population as well it seems like california as a whole has i mean california is a you know a golden handcuff state really you know like (laughs) just like you know none of us want to leave but it's not easy to live here it's very expensive yeah it's very expensive on a good day it's very expensive yeah yeah and a lot of people struggle with that yeah yeah that's a good point um it just seems like that's one of those things do you guys offer programs for you know resources for the homeless to try to better their situation or you guys more not so I mean, we can that. definitely hook people up with services if they're, you know, we have referrals. We offer out referrals all the time. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to go into a an inpatient treatment program, we have referrals in place. We're, we have a close relationship with Aegis, for instance. What is that? Uh, the new methadone and suboxone treatment clinic here in town. Oh, okay. Um, we referred many people to Aegis and still do. Mm-hmm. Uh if people want to find housing, we will do our best to hook them up with county resources. Mm-hmm. If people want to find medical care, we absolutely, our case manager, Christina, is mind-blowing. She's tireless. She works so hard. She will help people to get hooked up with, you know, she t- drives people to the ER herself and will wait oh, wow. for them. You know, she's, yeah, she's amazing. Our, 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 our staff, of folks who are, you know, many of whom are, are peers as well mm-hmm. um, and have been consumers uh, over the years, uh, you know, and we don't make a requirement. We're not, we don't require abstinence as an employment policy. So. Oh, okay. You guys don't do any drug testing or anything? Oh, no. No. 
Do you, and most of the people that work there have used substances? And maybe using them now. Do you think that that... Do you think that that better equips them to help the population going through that? Or Absolutely. Think... Well, it's a peer-led... Harm reduction in general is a peer-led um, movement. Mm -hmm. And emphasis being harm reduction, not stopping the act. Unless that's what someone wants. If someone comes to us and they say, I am done. Mm -hmm. Today I am done. Then you we will say, help them. okay. Are a lot of people, here, lot of people here are the services that are available to you. Do a lot of people want to stop using drugs or is it this is just this is what they want? This is You know, stopping using drugs is I think a lie. <laughs> meaning what? That nobody ever really wants mean, to stop? Meaning I think that most people don't stop using drugs. Mm -hmm. I think that we have a culture that's very drug dependent and, and that that's just something to get our heads around. Like when you say stop doing drugs, what do you mean? Like what does it mean to you when you say that? Uh, you know, most of us use drugs. Mm -hmm. Most Americans use drugs. See, but that creates a bigger question of why are people using drugs? Why do they feel like they need to escape from life to some extent? Which is a whole because other issue. humans seek pleasure. And drugs are that pleasure. It's one of the ways that we can get some, some pleasure, mm -hmm. honestly, you know. And I think if we could take some of the judgment off of it, it would be a lot healthier. Mm -hmm. We'd have a lot healthier relationship. We wouldn't necessarily fall so quickly or so easily into chaotic use if people were more open about the fact that drugs are a normalized part of our culture. Mm -hmm. Well, some drugs are getting that way, right? You've mm -hmm. got marijuana, mushrooms are beginning to get public attention. Absolutely. But then how do you, how do you say, okay, well, if you want to do heroin, you should. Because that, I, I mean, right, heroin, there's no, heroin will kill you if you use it long enough, right? No. Oh, well. No. But can you be productive using that? I have known, yes. Wow. You absolutely okay. can be. Yes, you Clearly absolutely can be. Clearly I'm not educated on the subject. Yes, you absolutely can be. I mean, I have personal, like, very close people to me who I know who have used heroin for, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be 50 in May, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, like, for my whole life, I've known people who use heroin and who are, have productive wow. quality lives. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Because all you hear is... Man, heroin, you're gonna you're gonna be that guy living on the side of the street under under a blanket that's you know, and cracked I, out of his head. Yeah, and I honestly believe that if we lifted some of those, you know, stigmas, like we would have a better relationship with substance use. Hmm. That is that is insane. I've never you know well, yeah, I would have never I would have never thought. Obviously, with the stigma that I've brought into it, you know, but it's crazy to hear that, that you can be. But people There's say that a... about marijuana, too, right? right? They're like, how do you right. be productive smoking weed? Right. And then you see it all the time. Right. And you would never guess. Right. Well, that you is know, insane. Yeah. So it's not. I personally don't think that there are good drugs and bad drugs. I mm -hmm. think that there are are drugs, there are substances, and we use them and we can have, you know, like more functional use or or less functional use you know dual diagnosis is a thing you know when when somebody has like underlying issues that they're using 
like mental substances, health? mental health issues, you know, uh, trauma, um, you know, PTSD, right? Mm-hmm. All of these are factors. And if, if I could, for example, be like talking to my therapist and feel totally at liberty to say, these are the substances I currently use. And here's where I'm feeling a little bit like I'd like some support around how I use them. But I can't even do that because if I tell my therapist that I'm using X, Y, and Z, that goes in my medical record and that may affect my care down the line. Oh, really? Right. Absolutely. So you're anybody who is, who is trying to have a really conscious, you know, like healthy relationship with their drug use is kind of their hands are tied you know mm-hmm. our culture doesn't support healthy conscious drug use even hearing you say those words it sounds it sounds crazy to hear that like right? i've never even heard that term of healthy drug use like healthy and drug use don't seem like they would even be right? aligned okay so let sentence. me give you an example i'll just use myself as, as an example i have bipolar disorder mm-hmm. i i have bipolar disorder and ptsd and i take uh Mood stabilizer. I take it every fucking day, mm-hmm. literally every day, because it makes my life better. Healthy, positive, structured drug use. But there, I mean, there is some difference between something like that or something like an antipsychotic that, you know, is designed to help you help your body and something like heroin, right? Isn't there some distinction? Between I mean, just like a euphoric, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't does, know but, necessarily. I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, and I know this is like out there, you know, but like I said, I'm for the decriminalization of all substances. Like if we could decriminalize them, then we could potentially see what it would be like for folks to navigate you know, substance use in a way that worked for them specifically that was less, you know, likely to end, end, you know, have them end up in a precarious situation. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, if you were to legalize all drugs, it would have other effects like possibly minimizing the impact of the cartel and drug operations and illegal drug operations that are coming in from other countries besides Mexico. Absolutely. There is an argument for that. It just seems... Like anything that's never been done before, it seems crazy unless it happens, you know, and then you deal with what happens at the time. But hearing something like that, people are like, what? There's no way that everything would be legalized. But then they, nobody thought weed would be legalized. And that's a growing thing. Yeah. That is crazy. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like I have so much now. I have to go home and like (laughs) process and try to reevaluate my life and try to... (laughs) I that's, don't know. That's Work through what, so many when, ideas. That's when you know it's been a good interview. Yeah, it has been fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Really, thank you for coming on. I think a lot of people will hopefully pull something from this that benefits them. I think I think a lot will. I think that'll be great. Thank you. It's been it's been a pleasure. Do you yeah. want to plug um 
Normally I have people like plug their social media or plug where people can find yeah, them. Yeah, so Hatcher707, that's H-A-C-H-R 707 is our handle. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Um, we are, we may have a Twitter account sometime soon. I don't know, maybe. Be on the lookout. Um, but, we're, but we're definitely, we have our Instagram and our Facebook. Um, Hatcher707 at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with me specifically, if you have any questions, um, yeah, uh, you know, literally we're at 1522 Third Street in Eureka, down by the library. If you want to come on by and check it out, you're welcome to. If you want to come and get some kits, uh, you know, come and get some kits. If you want to come and have a meal, come and have a meal. Need some underwear, socks, you know, towels, whatever. Take it's, advantage you know, of it. Take, come on down and get some stuff um, if you need it, if you want it. If you have more than you need, come bring us some stuff. We'll take all donations, um, money, goods, kitchenware, <laughs> whatever you <laughs> Whatever got. you guys can get your heads on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, just get in touch and come on by. You know, our door is open. Uh, come say hi. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one. All right.